Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for just the time that you have blessed us with to be able to come together, to fellowship with one another, Lord, to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ and here and in this local body of Calvary Bible Church. We praise you, Lord. It's, it, it is our desire to continue to exalt you and to bless you and to bring you glory this morning. Lord, now as we turn our attention towards your word, Father, I pray that you would give us just eyes to, to see the words clearly, to take them in, to understand them, apply them to our lives, grow us because of your word, draw us ever closer to you, Lord, and especially in this area of evangelism, that God, then your word would go forth, that, that it would it would prosper, that it would draw many to you. And Lord, as we seemingly live in a country that grows more and more divided, Lord, let this be a, a common factor, a common drawing together that many people would know Christ. We pray this, Lord. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. And, and with that, you can turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Chapter 3. We, I know, I know, man, we're closing in. Maybe by the end of the year here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read. There's a, there's a little section that we'll be going over over the next uh, couple few weeks. Verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> so I'm going to read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Paul the Apostle writes this. Finally, brethren... Pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Hear the word of the Lord, friends. You may be seated. <clears throat> Well-known evangelist, revivalist, and pastor from the late 1800s, Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, did the math, and he concluded that the New Testament records tell of 40 people, each suffering from the same disease, who were healed by Jesus. And of this number, 34 were either brought to Jesus by friends or he was taken to them. Only in six cases out of 40 did the sufferers find the way to Jesus on their own or without assistance. Of the vast number of people who find their way to Jesus today, most of them reach him because the friends of Jesus are concerned about the welfare of their souls. As a friend of Jesus, are you concerned about the welfare of other people's 
souls. There were some statistics from a survey in 2020 from Lifeway Research that found that a majority of those who attend a Protestant church at least once a month, 56%, say they pray for opportunities to tell others about Jesus at least once a week. Yet with 23% praying for such moments daily. Yet a similar percentage, 55%, say they have not shared with someone how to become a Christian in the past six months. And you think, how do you reconcile the two? Is God not opening the opportunity, the door of opportunity for this 56% who say they pray weekly for an opportunity or is there something wrong maybe with us in going from praying that prayer to actually putting it into practice friends welcome to this third and final chapter of second thessalonians while the first 12 verses of chapter 2 told us much about the day of the Lord and the man of lawlessness. We got to chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, which took us then on an eight-part mini-series on your salvation and the sovereignty of God. Then last week, we wrapped up chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, with five encouragements for a difficult life. As Paul has acknowledged the difficulties of this fledgling church there in Thessalonica, due to persecution affliction, and suffering. This translates to all believers, these encouragements. Across time, in regard to any difficulty or trial or suffering or tribulation or affliction and, yes, even persecution that you might be going through. The five encouragements came from both the Father and the Son, And were God's love, God's eternal comfort, His good hope by grace, those first three given to all believers when they are saved. This was then followed by Paul's prayer for two more. More or less in in an as-needed kind of way, it was for their continued comfort and strength. Which is to say divine, supernatural comfort and strength that will inherently be different than Anything, anything else the world can offer in that regard. And now as we get to chapter 3, Paul now asks for prayer. He asks for prayer for himself and for his ministry companions first. And then he offers one of his own on behalf of the Thessalonian believers. Looking back at verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren... Paul is simply wrapping up his letter and he is acknowledging that he is writing this letter to uh, the brethren, brothers in the Lord, believers, men and women of the faith there in the church at Thessalonica. Then he continues and he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Now, there are many prayers of Paul throughout his writings. These prayers include things like uh, prayers of praise and thanksgiving. In Romans 12, 12, he prays that his followers would be 
faithful in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13, he prayed that believers would have an increasing, overflowing love for each other and a strengthening of their hearts. He prays in Philippians 1, 9 to 11 that Christians' lives would bring much glory to God. He prayed that the power and grace of Christ and the Holy Spirit would fill each and every believer in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16. He prayed for spiritual knowledge and wisdom and understanding for Christians in Colossians 1.9. He prayed for protection from his enemies in Romans 15 and those that tormented him in 2 Corinthians 12. He prayed that God would always prevail even amidst our failings in 2 Corinthians 13. And, and, and probably more than anything else in Paul's prayer life is that he prayed for the salvation of others. He prayed for God to open doors, open doors for the gospel, for the preaching and sharing of the gospel. As he writes in Colossians 4, 3, when he says praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. And then in Ephesians 6.19, you might remember after that <clears throat> great armor of God section, I, I like to call this that, that last and, and final piece of, of armor, the not-so-secret secret weapon, when he says, and pray on my behalf. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And of course, he prayed for the salvation of specific people. This included praying for his fellow Israelites to be saved, even if it meant that he would be accursed separated from Christ in order to see that come to fruition. Think about that, friends, because this is that's an astounding statement that, that, that Paul gives us in Romans 9.3. I mean, how many of us could actually say that? Lord, I will go to hell for all eternity if it means the salvation of others. I don't know if I could pray that. This brings us back to our text. Paul's twofold prayer in our text in chapter 3. That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. You might remember Matthew 5 and verse 16 when Jesus preaches that sermon on the mount. When he tells people, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may See your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, we know from other places in Scripture that in order for people to do truly good works for the glory of God, they must first be saved by the gospel of Jesus as contained in the word of God. And likewise, for someone to see a believer's good works and actually give glory to God means that they see your good works and then they become a Christ follower themselves. Because then, and only then, could they glorify the Father who is in heaven. So, <clears throat> what Paul means by the word of the Lord being glorified is that people would hear the gospel, repent of their sins, and believe, thus bringing glory to God. 
Having faith in Jesus. Jesus tells us in Luke 15, 10, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels give glory to God. The person who now believes gives glory to God. They then do good works to the glory of God that are then seen by others who who then want to hear the gospel and repent and believe. And then you see the cycle just keeps going and going and going. The gospel keeps spreading. It keeps spreading with more glory to God and more glory to God and more glory to God, right? Well, here Paul is specifically praying for he and his fellow evangelists and apostles, people like Silvanus and Timothy and, and others, and their, their work of spreading the gospel to the Gentiles, right? The, the non-Jews. And he even says to the Thessalonians, just as it did also with you. You. Now, if you remember, Paul came to Thessalonica after basically being run out of Philippi. And as we've said, Thessalonica was a a strategically located city for the gospel to spread. It was kind of right there in between the the east and the west, and, and it was a port city. So, man, it was very easy for the gospel to go out from there and spread rapidly. And typically what Paul would do, if you remember, and we talked about this going way back to our introduction of the letter back in for uh, First Thessalonians, is he would show up to a city, he would find the local synagogue if there was one, and then he would start there. He would go to the local synagogue and he would preach Jesus. And, and you got to remember that the synagogue would be a very influential place and that it would have a, a strong proselytizing effect on the region. Hence, it was also an obvious place for Christianity, believe it or not, to take root. Paul's teaching generally centered on two main points. The first was that he used the Old Testament scriptures to reveal facts about the promised Messiah. Specifically, that it was necessary for Messiah to suffer, to die, and ultimately to rise from the dead. And then secondly, he showed people how that Messiah had been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He showed them how Jesus is, was the Messiah. Was, is, we'll say. Was historically, right? And still is the Messiah. Now, what you would see happen then is that some Jews in the synagogue would be converted. Though it was often difficult for them to accept this idea of a Messiah who dies. But in the synagogue, they often uh, contained a number of Greeks. People who would believe Paul's message because, well, maybe because it departed from some of the ritualistic and and exclusivity of Judaism that maybe didn't necessarily sit well with them, while still maintaining this monotheistic God, one God, and, and certain morals and ethics that centered on the exemplary life of Jesus. Now, Another methodology of Paul, for instance, was to also show up to a very public place uh, where debate was popular, such as he did in Athens on Mars Hill and shared the gospel of Jesus. And it can also, without doubt, be said that Paul shared Christ in any and all situations and circumstances that he found himself in, right? Whether wherever he might have had opportunity, including from the the a jail cell or in front of 
kings and, and governors, or even while on board a ship as a prisoner. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's, you know, that's great for Paul. Rah, rah, Paul, man, you're awesome, Paul, but that's not me. I'm not a missionary like he was. I wasn't, I wasn't called to the, the, you know, international mission field. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But as a Christian, you are called to evangelize the lost. You are called to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are called to share your faith with others, those who need to hear it, those who have yet to believe. So so let's bring this a little closer to home. The the rest of this message is going to be largely application-oriented. Let's bring this a little closer to home and, and what this means for each one of us here sitting in the pews of Calvary Bible Church. Let's consider it in three respects. We're going to talk about the message. We're going to talk about the method and the means. So first, the message. Now, only a right message is going to work. Only a right message is going to bring people to salvation. A wrong message will not bring about the desired results, or worse, it can even be a detriment to the message that you want to convey. Kind of like following a recipe, right? You follow the recipe, you deviate, and well, it might be okay if you kind of know what you're doing, right? But for purposes of my illustration, let's say I had a friend uh, we had this this uh, this gal that we knew. Man, she was an awesome baker. Like when she showed up to something with some kind of baked whatever, it was like everybody just went whoosh, right. And it's like you know you better get there quick because you know um, Hilda's pie is going to be gone like that. You know, and did, 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 did you see Hilda brought a moon pies? Did you see Hilda brought blah, 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 blah. one time? One time, this dear sister blew it, she said. <laughs> and she said, I don't know what I was thinking. And man, I put the salt in place of the sugar. And I showed up to a church deal and she said, oh my goodness, never. So it had, you know, even people were like, oh yeah, um, it's great, Hilda. Might want to check the recipe, you know. But, you know, um, it, can, it can have a, a, a bad effect if we blow it. Right. And and friends, I, I know for most of you, this is nothing new, but this is something that bears repeating again and again and again. But we need to make sure that we are accurately sharing the gospel. It doesn't mean that you have to go to seminary in order to do that. Absolutely not. In fact, we offered Bob did his evangelism class a little few months back. But we do that every now and again. But, but, but there are some, some have-tos that need to be in your message. And basically, the people that you're sharing with need to be taught. They need to be taught some specific things about three key people. For instance, they need to be taught some specific truths about God. They need to be taught some specific truths about Jesus. And they need to be taught some specific truths about themselves. Straight from the pages of Holy Scripture. Now, regarding God, primarily they need to be introduced to the fact that He is first and foremost their Creator. 
And what's great about this is, man, you get to start right at the beginning, right? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And furthermore, because he is the creator, all things belong to him. And because of that, he gets to make the rules. You might take him to a place like Psalm 24.1, which tells us the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, including all people. In addition, they need to know that God is a holy God. He is holy. He is without sin. He is altogether righteous, perfect, and pure. And and with this, one of his commands is that we, as his creation, are also to be perfect. Like uh, um, God says in Leviticus 19, verse 2, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that gets repeated, of course, in the New Testament as well. So you've shared these truths, and at this point, you you might uh, be expecting them almost to be scratching their heads and wondering whether or not they themselves are holy. Well, now it's time to move on to that next person. They have to learn something about themselves, about themselves. Now it's time to teach them that the truth is, is they were not born good and then turn bad because of society or other people or what have you we're actually all born bad to begin with right you might take them to romans three ten, which says that there is none righteous not even one or romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and of course, you'll want to explain to them that that sin is just any kind of disobedience towards God. And along with this, you'll absolutely need to share the fact that there are consequences for their sins, namely death, punishment, yes, hell and the lake of fire. You can't leave those out, friends. If somebody is going to be interested in being saved They have to know what they are to be saved from. It's very important. And along with this, uh, the the consequences of their sins. Yes, even hell and the lake of fire. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. While Matthew 25 and verse 46 tells us that the righteous will go away into eternal punishment. While Revelation 20 And verse 15 tells us that this is hell and the lake of fire. And then lastly, they'll need to know that their good works cannot save them. You would take them to Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, where it says, For by grace you have been saved. And you might explain to them that grace is is God's favor towards them, favor they could never work for or earn. uh, For by grace you've been saved through faith, right? Your own belief. And trust, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And people like to they like to go to that cosmic scale thing, right? And well, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if my uh, my good deeds outweigh my bad, and hopefully, if that's the case, I'll get to go to heaven. But the Bible tells us otherwise. Now you've gotten through all of this, and. They're feeling kind of kind of low, you know, because you've told them all this this bad news about them and their situation, but not to fret because I want to tell you good news. I want to tell you some good news or it wouldn't be called the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. 
And so you tell them some truths about Jesus and the fact that he is sinless God incarnate. And you might take him and show him John 10 30 when Jesus himself said, I and the father are one. Right. Or um, uh, in uh, Hebrews 4, 15, where the author of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest referring to Jesus who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He can understand. He can empathize, sympathize, but without sin. He is sinless. And you tell them, as Paul did, how Jesus paid the penalty for their sin by dying on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But Paul doesn't stop there. Because what good is a dead Savior? There's nothing good about a dead savior he continues in 15 4 and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures oh now we got some some good things happening here resurrection eternal life now friends unfortunately this is where many of us stop because you see the 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 next part of what you would need to tell them and show them It starts to get personal. It starts to get personal. But it's equally important. You see, once they've been enlightened to these truths, there has to be a response. There has to be. They can't be saved just because they've heard these truths. They must either accept them or the opposite, reject them. So it's extremely beneficial if you lead them down the path of what their response needs to be in order that they would be saved. If they accept and believe these truths, praise the Lord, they just need to ask God for forgiveness and and turn away from all that dishonors God. This is called repentance, right? It's making that 180 Turn around, go the other direction. John 3, 16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, based on the eternal life of Christ. Or Acts 17, 30, we get a good thing about repentance here. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent repent romans 10 verses 9 to 10 paul says that if you confess with your mouth jesus as lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation you can't be afraid to call them to repentance and when I say that, it doesn't mean, you know, that you go, now repent, scream at them and get in their face. No, it's, it's, hey, brother, sister, so I'm, thank you for letting me share these truths with you. But here's the thing. I, I want to ask you, what do you think? Do you believe these truths? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God who, who died on that cross for you and that he rose from the dead? And will you believe, will you trust 
And yeah, I know, that starts getting personal, right? But that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's a personal gospel. That's the message that you need to share. This brings us to the method. The method. You know, there's various ways to, uh, to cook a turkey, for instance. I've experimented with a, a few of them. I, I like to uh, cook and do a lot of the, the cooking in our house. But, of course, you can uh, bake a turkey. My, my mom, man, she believes in using the oven bags, you know. And so she taught me to do that. And it's like, you can't. It's hard to ruin a turkey when you're putting it in the oven bag. And there you go. Other people uh, uh, pressure cook it or deep fry it. Any deep fryers out there? Oh, yeah. Rocco's got his hand up. And uh, um, I, I remember going to a friend's house and he deep fried the turkey, man. It was one of the most awesome turkeys I ever had. Um, I like to, I got a smoker at home. So I've smoked a turkey uh, before and it's come out really awesome too. So we have all these different methods, but the result is still going to be the same. You're still going to end up with a cooked turkey. Praise the Lord. Now, where evangelism is concerned, there are many methods that you can use. Open air evangelism, right? Come on out to uh, downtown Burbank on a Saturday night at 5 o'clock, 5.30, and, and you can be part of the Calvary Bible Church open air evangelism team. Or you can come out. There, we got a shout out from the balcony there. You can come out and hand out tracts. We're not going to make you get up on the box and, you know, preach, all right? You can just be there to hand out tracts or to talk with people, to pray with people, that kind of thing. We have door-to-door. I think I've probably shared that story with you, and we had to do that for seminary. Four hours, door-to-door. Scared the life out of me. Um, But uh, we had to do that. Or you can do it in a larger group setting or in a smaller group setting. You can do evangelism one-on-one, even with your neighbors. And as we saw from Paul, Paul had some specific methods for how he did evangelism. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be your method or that it's even the right method for you. Evangelism methods are not one size fits all. The truth is the method that most of you will employ will be what we call relational evangelism. Sharing the gospel with people that you develop relationships with. Whether that's family or friends or neighbors, acquaintances, co-workers, maybe through your school or an organization that you're a part of or a hobby that you're involved with or sporting events or sports or just even the people that you just encounter in that kind of day-to-day fashion, the different activities that you do. These are the people that you should be able to witness to. Now, to this end, let me just give you five, just consider five brief steps here in in, in this methodology, okay? One, you have to seek to cultivate a relationship. You have to cultivate a relationship. You should view every relationship in your life as a potential open door for the gospel. Each person we get to know relationally needs to be a candidate for salvation, right? And as we go through these steps, I'm going to... I'm going to employ an analogy that I I hope will help. Of course, it's one of the things that I know. And I try to space these out. And I think it's been a week or two since I did one of these illustrations. So you're due for it again, right? And and that, of course, is fishing. Oh, yes. I love fishing. 
I love everything about it. Surprise, surprise. It excites me. Therefore, it is a very easy thing for me to talk about. Uh, You know, over the years, I think I've accumulated quite a bit of knowledge about fishing. and, And furthermore, it's one of those things that I can tell you from experience, the more you do it, the better at it you become. Now, let's say that my goal is to get people to go fishing with me. Because I love it and I just know you're going to love it too. This being my goal means that every person that I have a relationship with is a potential fishing buddy. All right? Is a potential fishing buddy. It would seem weird if I stood outside of pavilions over next door and just tried to round up total strangers. You want to go fishing with me? You want to go fishing? How would you like to go cast a line? You know, they're going to be like, dude, just stay away. You're weird. You're a freak, you know, and and that kind of thing. And no, they're not going to want to, you know, go out and go go fishing. They're going to have all kinds of excuses and reasons. Well, you're crazy. You're weird. You're strange. Or, you know, they can't right now. or They're too busy or they don't like fishing, whatever. It's going to make more sense if I cultivate a relationship with someone followed by an eventual invitation with them uh, to go fishing, right? In fact, I probably already have all kinds of current relationships where I could be asking these folks if they would like to go fishing with me. This is all true of the gospel, You probably don't even need to be concerned right now about cultivating new relationships. I would imagine that most of you have plenty current relationships with people whom you currently know that have yet to hear the gospel. In other words, most of you don't need to go looking for new people to share the gospel with. You just need to get yourselves more gospel minded so that you see each current relationship as a potential open door to sharing christ one last thing about this you might ask well yeah okay but is this biblical well think about it what did jesus do he started his ministry by cultivating relationships he rounded up the the first 12 apostles and he did this not only for their own salvation right but for the advancement of the gospel and the salvation of others He poured his life into them day and night for three years into these men. And along with these kind of hand-picked relationships, Matthew 9 and verse 35 tells us that while Jesus was visiting Matthew, one of those hand-picked relationships, he goes to Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. So through that cultivated relationship that opened the door to have all of these other people there who were all there because they knew Matthew, right? And then Jesus, boom, gets to share with them. So he's also cultivating relationships then now and sharing the gospel with all of these others that might have been more of the the hard cases. Maybe the disciples were kind of the ringers and these were, the again, the, the going to be the more difficult ones. Secondly, think about asking questions. In your method. When Philip the evangelist, and this is, he's different from the Philip of the twelve disciples, but when Philip the evangelist encountered an Ethiopian eunuch and court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who is sitting in his chariot, he's reading the prophet Isaiah, Philip asked him a question. 
verse 30, he says there, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from his scripture, from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. It started with a question. Now, upon meeting somebody, you know, for the first time, most of us don't usually jump right in with our gospel presentation. Unless you're one of those people with the spiritual gift of evangelism. And man, you just can't wait to meet somebody new because, bam, you're off and running with them. But no, we, we typically get to know them first. We start asking them questions. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Most people love to talk about who? themselves right i know not everybody you know is necessarily like that but generally speaking that's true so all you do is you start asking questions to get them talking about themselves and then at some point in your relationship with them yeah then you start looking for ways to kind of steer the conversation a little bit more to talk about spiritual things to ask them spiritual questions so As I get to know someone, at some point, I'm going to ask them, so, do you fish? Right? You ever been fishing? And if not, I'm going to ask them some questions to kind of find out what level of understanding they even have about fishing, if if any at all. And and if they have fished, oh, what kind of fishing do you like to do, right? Kaz, he likes deep sea, man. Deep sea, there you go. And, uh, you know, I might say freshwater or saltwater. Are you a bait fisherman, spin fisherman, fly fisherman? Are you in the elite? Are you the uh, inner circle, you know, fly fisherman, right? Uh, what kind of fish do you like to catch? And, and it's not so different in talking and asking things about uh, spiritual matters with someone. Have a bunch of questions at the ready. Questions that, that probe their beliefs about spiritual things. So do you believe in God? Do you believe in the Bible? How, how did you form the beliefs that you have? I mean, did your parents share with you or did somebody, you know, take you to church or Sunday school? Did you, were you raised going to church or with any sort of spiritual understanding, you know? Of, um, what would you think about all that in church? And it could be, too, that they're already part of a, a, a religion other than Christianity. And you can ask about those beliefs and be a good listener. Don't just be there, you know asking questions, thinking about when you're going to jump in and what you're going to say next. I mean, you have to really listen. Let them talk. Ask more questions. And also gauge how far to take things in any given encounter with somebody. If they they are, say, uninterested or even antagonistic, you got to know when to put the brakes on and stop, right? You do. You do. That brings us, thirdly, To the power of your personal testimony, still under the method, the power of your personal testimony. Now, I I could tell you all about how I came to love fishing. And even if you care less about the sport, I I think my my heartwarming tale of uh, a budding father and son relationship that's centered uh, around fishing, you know, and and throwing some good action and and suspense for uh, um, while I've been fishing and some laughter and tears. and, And hopefully that would at least be an engaging story for you. Because everybody likes a story. We do. And your salvation story will be compelling no matter whether it's extraordinary or it's 
seemingly mundane because every conversion is a supernatural act of God. And and just think about Paul. Think about how much Paul used his testimony as he was sharing the gospel. To the Jews who were trying to kill him in Acts 21 and 22, Paul shares about how he persecuted Christians and how Jesus saved him while on the road to Damascus and then how Jesus called him into ministry. And he did this again before the governor Festus and King Agrippa. First sharing his his past, followed by his encounter with Christ and Jesus' call on his life on into the present. And so friends, your testimony, as far as you are a believer, you have one. You absolutely have one. And usually it, it, it centers on three key things. You, you want to share with somebody in your story, your personal testimony, a little bit about what your life was like before you came to know Christ. What, what your life was like as a sinner separated from God. And then, of course, you want to tell them something about that, that time of conversion, whether it was a, an instant or a moment or whether it took place over six months or a year But you want to tell them about coming to faith in Christ. And then you want to tell them something about how Christ has changed your life. And what that's meant for you since coming to faith. And and what's cool about your testimony too is, well one, nobody can tell you it didn't happen. People will refute the scripture, but they can't refute certainly your experience, right? And what's what's great about this also is, is that you can incorporate your gospel message, going back to the message, into your testimony. So it actually becomes a twofer, right? So they're not just getting one thing, but they're getting the, the scriptures and, and you sharing your story and giving the, the, the gospel while you're giving your testimony. This takes us to the fourth aspect of the method, sharing the gospel. We don't have to stay long here because we've talked about that. But, but it, if you and I, if we did go fishing together, here's then what we would actually do. Let's see, I've been wanting to go striper fishing up on Lake Castaic. And so I'd say, you know what, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to meet at a you know, coffee shop or whatever. And then, and then you're going to get into the truck and we'll, we'll go to Castaic. We'll put the boat in the water. Then I've got downriggers. We're going to set the downriggers. We're going we're gonna, to you know, drop our lures down you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet, wherever we find the stripers on the fish uh, finder. And, uh, you know, and we're going to fish and et cetera, et cetera, and do all those cool things. Now, if you're, if you're at the place where you have the opportunity to actually share Christ with someone, then you're going to tell them the truths of the gospel message. This is the gospel message. This is how we go fishing, but this is the gospel message. And that takes us back to that first point, right? And you go through that gospel message with them. Which then brings us to the last of the, uh, the, 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 the fifth point under the method, and that is... The invitation, the invitation. In other words, with with all the information I've shared with you, do you want to go fishing with me? Right? Because you're going to have to make a decision. So with all the gospel truths I've shared with you, will you repent and believe? Because you're going to have to make a decision. As Peter was wrapping up his gospel presentation on the day of Pentecost, it says in Acts 2, verse 37, that the people were pierced to the heart, because they just heard the gospel, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? By the way, we call that the silver platter example, right? 
That's like when you get, it's like you're just waiting for somebody to say, will you share the gospel with me? Or I've heard the gospel, but I don't know what to do next. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. Let me tell you. Silver platter, right? He said, they said, brother, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be saved. Friends, you and I, we have to ask folks if they would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and, and yeah, you're going to want to encourage them to pray. And, and you might have to help them out with this, right? Kind of how to do it. You don't want to say the prayer for them, but, but maybe they, they, they don't even know what to pray for. And so you kind of help them out. And, and well, you know, if that's the case and you believe this, and you might like to say something like this. And, and then you're there with them and you let them do it. You let them pray. It has to come from them. In other words, they're not going to be saved by just reciting a prayer back to you, right? But you can, you can generally tell if it's coming from their heart or not. Well, this this takes us lastly to our, our third and final point, the means, the means. So if I'm now going fishing or I'm actually taking you fishing along with me, well, there's some have to's that we have to bring along. You're going to need to get a fishing license. Oh, it was cool when we did our family camp. It was free fishing day in California. So nobody needed a license, but you're going to need to get a license. We're going to need to get you a rod and reel. Some line for that reel, bait, a lure. At a minimum, this is what you would need. However, to be truly effective, we might also want to get you some, some other things, um, th- some other, other means as well. M- maybe we're going to a, a stream or a river and you're going to need waders or hip boots, you know. Or, yeah, if we're going to go up to Castaic, we're going to want to take out the boat. Uh, probably bring along a tackle box so we got some extra gear. <coughs> Sometimes, for those of us that are getting a little more up there in years, we need magnifying glasses so we can see the knots we're trying to tie. Of course, we're going to have a net because we're going to need to get those fish that we're going to catch on board and a stringer. I don't think that's acting presumptuously. It's just, you know, we're going to catch fish. And then, of course, we'll need a cooler to transport all of those fish we're going to catch. It's no different with evangelism. There are some needed have-tos, such as the gospel, but there are also other means as well that we need to be aware of, that we need to utilize, that we need to absolutely trust. So here's three. The first is this, God's grace. God's grace. You have God's grace fully available to you. Friends, Regarding evangelism, the temptation will be to try to evangelize on your own or to do things your way, to witness, maybe even according to your rules. Another issue is when we let fear kind of, you know, creep in and just take us over. And I would say to you that the antidote to these is God's grace. We have to we have to face facts. We are totally inadequate for this task. Totally inadequate. Thankfully, we don't. We don't get to save anybody. God is the one who saves people, right? He simply chooses to use you in bringing people to salvation by sharing with them the gospel. To which, again, we feel woefully inadequate and ill-equipped for, hence his 
<coughs> grace. So I don't want any of you to say, well, yeah, I can't. I, I can never memorize that enough. Then great. Get a cheat sheet, right? Make yourself a, a gospel cheat sheet. And uh, well, I, you know, excuse, excuse, excuse. Trust in God's grace. And when praying for relief from his thorn in the flesh, uh, God told Paul that he was not going to remove that thorn, telling him, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. That's you. That's me in the area of evangelism. Friends, God's grace is vital in evangelism. It, it will keep you humble as you or it causes you to trust in God completely. Your power for evangelizing is perfected in your weakness. In other words, when we admit our weaknesses, our deficiencies for the task at hand, then we start to work in his strength, not our own. In our weakness, God's grace delivers to you his very own power, and this will be sufficient for any and all things that that he needs you to accomplish another way to say it is that when we admit our weakness and we turn to him for help he grants us his grace which is to say his power and we are no longer weak but strong it's as simple as that and along with this while sharing the gospel trusting god's grace we also want to impart grace impart grace we are to speak gracefully in colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 paul says conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As Peter in uh, uh, chapter 3 verse 15 uh, writes. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. For the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. We do so respectfully. I was talking with Steve Van Single this week. And, and he was sharing with me just some of the heckling situations that the evangelism team has encountered out there. And of course, when that happens, boy, it can start to make, you know, you, you just your heart starts racing and you, you, you know, you, you can get in that mindset of, oh, I'm going to fire back and I'm going to fire back. And now I'm getting, come on, put them up, you know, that kind of deal. And he said, yeah, we can't do that, right? We just can't do that. We have to go the other direction, have our speech be grace filled, seasoned with salt, treat everyone respectfully with reverence. Well, secondly, under this uh, category of the means, the Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Turn to Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8. And what you have to remember about the book of Acts is that it is descriptive, not so much prescriptive, right? 
We don't necessarily just take something and actually go, okay, boom, I have to do exactly that today because that's what the Word of God says. No, we understand that it is descriptive of how how things were happening back then in terms of getting the gospel out. But in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 25, we read this. Acts 8, 25. So when they, and the they is referring to Peter, John, and the apostles, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We had read this previously, right? Look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And we know the rest of the story. Philip shares the gospel with them. The eunuch repents, believes, gets baptized. And and friends, for us here, not being an apostle, and maybe we're not hearing that voice uh, so in, in that sense, the way he heard the Holy Spirit's voice. We're understanding the Holy Spirit through the word of God. But we do need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit where evangelism is concerned. We have to be sensitive in how he's leading us, especially when he might be opening up opportunities for us. There was a time where I had an evangelism class and, and, uh, at, at, at school, and, and we were going to have to share uh, our faith with um, some people that we knew, but we hadn't yet shared with, and um, I knew exactly uh, who... Um, I was to speak to. It was that still small voice. It was that big roaring voice of the Holy Spirit just in my heart. And it was our homosexual neighbors in Burbank. I just knew. I knew that's what the Holy Spirit was calling me to do. And, uh, and, and, and it was at first kind of nerve wracking and whatnot. But the Holy Spirit was gracious. And I thankfully was obedient to the Spirit. They've yet to repent and believe. We'll pray to that end. The Holy Spirit. So, friends, the last one is prayer. We can never discount the power of prayer and evangelism. Remember Paul's admonition in Colossians 4, 2-4, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. This applies to us as well as Paul and the apostles. We also read in Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. There's Paul again asking for prayer for himself that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Let that be all of our prayers that our mouths would open up and we would make known the mystery of the gospel with boldness. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was in prison that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, this is a it's a very 
intense spiritual battle that out there in the world is going on all around us. And we have to remind ourselves, remember that people's souls are at stake. Nothing less than that. And you and I have have an incredibly powerful tool at our disposal when it comes to evangelism, a tool that was not lost on a spiritual giant like the Apostle Paul, and that's just simply prayer. To pray. Pray for others that they would come to faith in Christ. Pray for ourselves that we would be bold. Let us pray like John Hunt, a missionary to the Fiji Islands, who upon his deathbed prayed, Lord, save Fiji, save Fiji, save these people, O Lord, have mercy upon Fiji, save Fiji. And friends, might we say today, Lord, please save the USA. Save the USA, save the USA. Or the famous English evangelist George Whitfield who said, Oh Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Let's pray. As we do pray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer I came across just this morning um, from a, a Tim Challey's blog site. And uh, it's, a, it's a prayer by Philip Doddridge. That's drawn from Tim Chester's new collection called Into His Presence. He gives words that can perhaps guide you and I in our prayers of supplication and praying for these gospel opportunities. Let's pray. Almighty God, with you all things are possible. To you, therefore, I humbly apply myself on behalf of this dear immortal soul, this person who is perishing in their sins and hardening themselves against that everlasting gospel, which has been the power of God to the salvation of so many thousands and millions. Oh, that after all their hardness and impenitence, you would still be pleased by the sovereign power of your effectual grace to awaken and convert them. You who made the soul can cause the sword of conviction to enter it. Oh, that in your infinite wisdom and love you would find a way to intervene and save the sinner from death, from eternal death. You know, oh God, they are dying creature. You see a moment marked in the book of your decrees which will seal them up in an unchangeable state. Oh, that you would lay hold on them while they are still part of the living Oh, let your sacred spirit work while they are still within the sphere of his operations. Work, O oh God, by whatever method you choose. Only have mercy upon them so they do not sink into the depths of damnation and ruin on the very brink of which they so evidently appear. Oh, that you would bring them, if that be necessary, and seem to you most expedient into any depths of calamity and distress. Glorify your name, O Lord, and glorify your grace in the method which you, your infinite wisdom shall deem most expedient. Only grant, I pray you, with all humble submission to your will, that this sinner may be saved. To him who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.